Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jeremy, and today, before we dive into our exciting content, I have some news to share with all of you. We are changing. Our podcast is evolving. We're thrilled to announce that from here on out, we'll be known as Bites of Wisdom. This change reflects more accurately the essence of our discussion and the insights we share. It's a name that better captures our mission to blend entertainment with enlightenment, all in bite-sized digestible chunks. Of course, along with a new name, we're rolling out fresh domains, a vibrant new logo, and best part, you won't have to do a thing. Everything will update automatically, ensuring a seamless transition for all of our listeners. Ozzy and John, share my excitement for this change. We believe it marks a significant milestone in our journey, one that aligns with our vision of the future and a path we want to forge together with you, our listeners. So without further ado, let's jump in today's episode of Bites of Wisdom, where we'll explore ADHD and its effect on lives, particularly in terms of focusing, multitasking, and coping mechanisms. Along the way, we'll speculate about the possible correlation between high-level success and ADHD. Hope you enjoy How do you want to start? Do you want to talk about where we're at? Yeah, I think we should talk about this being our first time all in the same room while doing this. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Nice to meet you guys. <laughs> I haven't seen you in a while. In, in, in the meat world. That's true. So yeah, we're all a little bit different. Yeah. In person. You can smack Jeremy now if he... All right. It, it can get physical really quickly. Hey, I'm going to lose, but that's a, that, that's a whole different ballgame. I don't know about that. You're doing... Jiu-jitsu now. I can barely sit right now. <laughs> Dude, that's the thing is you're going to win over the fact that, you know, he's been beat up by a bunch of people who, you know, he's paying for them to beat him up. Right. So the, the hundred pound person. That topic is a different tech. So how bad is it for me if the, the hundred pound person is kicking Jeremy's ass and the Jeremy kicks my ass? I mean, they're trained. They go to my self-esteem. So one of the topics we're going to start with or talk about ADHD. I think we're all, if we don't, if we haven't been clinically diagnosed, I think, I mean, I have been, I use the term loosely clinically diagnosed because I had the same doctor that clinically diagnosed me with ADHD. They gave me pills and I was only meeting them for about 25 minutes and never saw them again. So I was never actually tested, but I don't know what the test is. Uh I know both of you have gone through a lot more, or at least I know you've, you're taking medication. So there's something that you did. I know you've. For I mean, a lot longer. I can go through mine, but much earlier in life, but I've basically been tested on and off through all my teenage years to the point where I was like, I can game a Rorschach test. Mm-hmm. I thought they were fun to play with. You can get any answers you want. Psychiatrists don't think it's possible, or at least the ones I talked to didn't, but they were wrong. But that's a whole different issue. But yeah, I, I remember when I was 15 or 16, somewhere in that, I was working at Taco Bell and they had put me on Ritalin, said it would help me out, obviously. At, 48 hours of being awake straight. I decided that I would no longer be taking these ever again in my entire life. Fell asleep for 36 hours. How many tacos did you make in 48 hours? <laughs> uh, we'll talk about Taco Bell at a different time about my career history there. But That's why so thin. Yeah. yeah. The, the, but yeah, I took myself off and never went and saw another psychiatrist around medication. I've ever since then, really, it takes a lot to ever give So me you've a, never been on anything other than that first time? That, that one and only time. And I have a deep distrust for mind-altering mm-hmm. drugs at that time. Right. And so I think my experience is probably closer to yours. I think he was a doctor was just trying to placate my parents and yeah. give me something that they thought, hey, make, him, make things better. But it wasn't going to work. It 
needed a lot more of understanding of me and how to make those things go forward. It just wasn't there. So I never went back. My experience, I went to the doctor, I was having sleep problems and you know, one of the things doctors goes through a litany of tests, asked a whole bunch of stuff. And then the sleep doctor told me, Hey, you know, some of the stuff you're saying is also sounds like ADHD and gave me the name of the psycho psychiatrist, psychologist, psychiatrist. I don't know the difference. Psychiatrist. psychiatrist. Yeah. And I went and saw a psychiatrist probably about two weeks before Christmas. And I remember going there. I remember, you know, sitting down, talking to him. He prescribed me with, I don't think it was Ritalin, but it was Adderall. Yes. That one. And I took it and it actually helped me a lot. But then when he diagnosed me, I went back to go see him again after the, after the holiday break and uh, yeah, he closed shop up. So, <laughs> so, so, you know, mind you, I was only in his office, I think for about, at, he talked to me for at least at the most 25 minutes, but I was in the office longer than I actually, right. than he actually talked to me. And my, my sleep doctor eventually put me on something else for sleep and they told me to stop taking the uh, Adderall. And yeah, and I mean, since then, the medicine that I'm on from the sleep that, that I only have to take occasionally does help with a lot of things that I had associated with ADHD with. And right. so I haven't, but I haven't gone and got any other kind of medication because I haven't found the need for it. So quick questions, both of you. All right, you just like, you didn't get tested at all, which that's- No, no test. That's like- almost malpractice right there. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, it pretty much was, yes. he just so, handed me. But what tests did you take? At what points in my time? So I've been tested. I can't even remember all the tests I took it from the age of 12, 11, 12 to 16, multiple tests of every single type then at some point in time. I had an interesting childhood. And so I was, yeah, lots of different opportunities for different psychiatrists, Michael's multiple psychologists at different times in different parts of my childhood to see why failed everything, couldn't concentrate, mm -hmm. couldn't focus at school, like why I was always getting in fights, whatever the, the situation was, whereas looking to see if there was an underlying condition. None of those turned out to be true as an underlying condition. It doesn't mean they weren't, it just doesn't mean they couldn't pin anything down on me. But, and I use that in a negative context because that's how it felt. I'm not saying they ever did a bad job, but it just felt like something was being forced upon me that I didn't want. So yeah, not like, I can't tell you the test. I mean, these were 20 plus years ago, 25 years ago, but I was every nine months, 12 months was with a doctor at some point in time doing tests over time, multiple days, multiple reproducible tests. Right. I, so when I went to get tested, the test was about four hours long and man, it was grueling. I said to the um, neuropsychologist, I said, how do you expect anybody with ADHD to sit here through this test and do this? go through the whole test. And the test was a series of different tests, the whole four hours. You just did different things from, Hey, I'm going to give you six letters and numbers and you repeat them back to me and they keep giving you, and then, then he changed the like, okay, repeat them back to me in reverse. I'm going to give you letters and numbers. Oh, that drive me crazy. I'm going to give you letters and numbers and you have to give me the numbers in uh, ascending order numbers only right? Or numbers in descending order. And then they would do, there was one test, but they had, it was one test that was on a laptop. Everything else is just like, you know, just either on paper or- With a technician or something. Yeah, with, yeah. The, with the neuropsychologist. The laptop test was, she said, okay, different letters are going to pop up and then they're going to come up at different speeds. It's going to have different cadence. Hit the space bar when X comes up. 
only when X comes out. So I'm like, that's, I mean, I'm there in like three hours now and I'm like, that's all right. That's going to be easy, whatever. And I'm sitting there and, you know, letters are popping up. I'm like, X space, you know, huh? I'm going and they would change the cadence and then I would screw up. And then the funny thing is that, I mean, this is, I guess, normal behavior because the program would give you an X and then give you another X because you immediately are going to, you know, you screwed up. If you messed up and didn't hit the space bar, right, then you're going to try to overcorrect mm -hmm. and you're going to be quick on the trigger and try to hit the space bar immediately. And so they would go X, X. And if you miss one of those, then it'd be a, a quicker pace and it, they, they wouldn't give you an X. So you'd be like, yeah. and you'd hit the space uh, bar. They were taking advantage of anticipation. Yeah. So it was a grueling four hour test. And then after, like you said, afterwards, I had to go speak to a psychiatrist and psychiatrist at that point, a psychiatrist is just prescribing you the medicine because that's the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist who prescribe medication. So yeah. So that's why I was asking, like, cause you, it was a long time ago and I was wondering if the test has changed. Yeah, there then. wasn't even like we're talking about, I know that I've worked with a newer psychologist for different reasons since then for it's stuff like that, but no, mine was back in the nineties, right. there was neuropsychologists didn't exist in the same way they do now. Right, they, were, right. they were not a, they were not a pulled out part of the, the, the specialty they are now, but yeah, no, it was, I couldn't tell you all the details, but lots of those tests were the same. I remember the Rorschach specifically, because that one was such a, I still think it's a stupid. That's the one where they're showing the inputs. Yeah. And it's. I have lots of disagreements about that particular yeah. test. I've done a fair amount of research on why I disagree with it. Obviously, I'm not a doctor and can't actually evaluate it, but there's not consensus as if it's often presented. But that's a different issue. All those things you talk about, guarantee you, I have, I am neurodivergent. I am not like most, most people classify as typical. You cannot read numbers off to me. My wife tries to read me a phone number. It has to go one digit at a time right nothing else works right if you ask me the first how to do a tar command and what are the cadence of the four billion arguments i have no problem i can tell you the order they are i know because they're me they have a higher level meaning but numbers by themselves are useless to me that, and they have amazing. no story yeah. and it means nothing right and i'm not the only person like that yeah, yeah. yeah and that pattern shows up in a lot of other things Come back to this because it's the same pattern is I can't guarantee the order of operations of anything in my brain. They are put into a story, into a th index, and I think of it like computers as an index, and it's not going to be stored in the order that it was inserted. Right. And that means recognition, pulling it back out is always different. Right. So I correct things in my brain and I can't remember that I've corrected. So the word the, the, when typing out, I, oh, I found it. Duplicate word. Isn't, but isn't that but sort of, I, my brain is already edited. I can't fix, I can't read it again as incorrect. Isn't that also how people navigate dyslexia? Yes. Where. And dyscalculia. I don't even know what that is. What is that? Same thing for numbers. Oh, okay. I'm probably, I don't know that I am, but I would probably have a medium issue with dyscalculia where I invert numbers. I can't remember numbers and I 
misrepresent numbers constantly. Right. So like a six and the nine is not recognizable to me, not just because of the visual problem, because I have to see that in context as part of the dyscalculia. It's hard for me to read numbers. This, but I can see ge geometry in anything. I can carve, mentally carve things and th that works. So it's really interesting how certain things work in my brain versus don't. So if this podcast takes off, you're not doing the finances. <laughs> oh no, I'm really good at programming. I know the weakness. I can't. He's talking about the accounting. Finance. Oh, the accounting oh, yeah. part of it. Well, no, but I, really got, but, but I can't. If you were to ask me to read the numbers off a screen and tell mm -hmm. me what order they came out in, it's impossible. Right. I just can't do it. Right. You want to ask me to edit words that are in a printed format? I can't do it. I have to take the medium. Like if I want to take something or an email I've written, I have to print it out and put it on a piece of paper. Or I have to cut and paste it out of the editor that it's in and put it into a different program, like from BI to the email system, because the, the visually changing the font is required for me to change my mental model of the words. Right. Because I've already put them in my brain and I can't unstore them. So that's, so that's very similar. It's interesting. So when I take notes, I actually, I'm not able to type notes and actually retain the information. But if I write them down, I, I, all I need to do is write the note and generally I can remember it. Like I don't even need to refer back to it. Sometimes right. I do, but most of the time I know these are the checklist, but I can remember what I wrote usually. But if I were to do the same exercise, even over several weeks and actually type it into a, a note-taking application, I don't have that recall. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's interesting. So my daughter got tested as well, both my daughters. And one of the thing that, one thing that kind of stood out to me in, in all our test results, let's just take my test result. Like, you know, there were all these different tests that you had to do, right? I was just describing some of them. There were some tests where I was like 99th percentile or 90th percentile, like high nineties. There were some tests where I was like, is this person even human? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like it was low percentile. And the neuropsychologist said, Hey, that's ADHD, right? There are certain things that you're going to function really well at and certain things you're not. And the fact that if you look at my test, it's so up and down, like that's also symptomatic of ADHD. So what you're saying, all of that makes sense to me. <clears throat> it's pretty, I mean. It makes sense, but to hear you talk about it is, you know, I don't really think about it. Like, you know, the, the, the fact of like putting numbers in order and how you struggle with that, but you know, that there might not be a hundred other people in the room that struggle with that. Yeah. Right. So it's just, it, and the mind is a fact, it's very fascinating. Right. It, it is like, it's amazing how, like I, I use this and I'm talking about myself because it's easy to recollect it, but it's something specific that. I don't run into people that have that same problem. The, the amount of people that can just take, like, take phone numbers and in cadence of three, three, set, three, three, four. I'm like, that's awesome. I don't know how you do that. I, but what I do is very different. And it's weird and how it stands out in my mind now as I don't ever see that happening to other people. So I can't take single number phone numbers. It has to be in threes. Yeah. Three, three, four. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, but like, it has to be like, you know, like nine or whatever. If they'll say like nine, five, six, I'll be like, wait a second. Like, I'll have to ask, repeat it back. But if they tell me like 489 and whatever, I'm like, okay, got it. Can you do four? Four what? Numbers. I mean, if just three? It's usually three. Yeah. Like, even, even if they tell me four, I'll be like, stop. Like, for whatever reason, it's three. Right. And, and uh, for phone numbers, that that's the uh, thing. Credit, what about credit cards? Because they're I, I need to read every number on a credit card. 
I can't remember credit card numbers. So I can memorize patterns. So I can I can't remember credit card numbers. That's I can do that. Yes. But I can type it into a nine digit keypad forever. I can type every single phone number if I've ever had to type. I don't repeat it best because I can remember it. Not the phone number. You can recall the number just by typing it, but you by can't have to but type it. if I ask you to remember the phone no number. No chance. Yeah. Yeah. No chance. My, my, I finally have learned my own cell phone number after 20 some odd years in my wife's because they both are the first same, same characters and the same digits. And it's, yeah. I, I can remember my wife's number only because I've had, I've had to do it so many times and, and I do it in threes. Yeah. So I do remember it, but the, my own number, the only, re- I mean, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't remember it. I don't know my, I have two phone numbers. I, I don't know the number I've had for five years of work. Cause I never had a call in right. my own personal number. I've had for 20 so many years that it, I just never changed it. Right. So I think I'd have the same problem as you not probably nowhere near as quite uh, like you, but phone numbers definitely screw me up. That's my first, I could never tell you this phone number. That's the first phone number when I was eight years old that I had to learn how to dial it. Albuquerque, New Mexico. Yeah. But why do if I... We, if we just asked you, you wouldn't be able to... No, us. I had to pull up my phone and dial on it. Right. Because it's the only thing is I remember the patterns. I remember geometry. I remember yeah. shapes. And the other pattern that stands out about me is like, my wife was like, before I started cleaning my desk is, I'd be like, go to my desk, the piece of paper, six pages down on the left of my monitor, yes. on the 13 page. I, I'll, and, and just if you hit the yellow pieces of paper, you've gone too far. Three-dimensional orientation of memory is staggeringly good. Mm-hmm. But you ask me where to like order in something memory, like numbers, text, like something like that, no chance. Because it doesn't have a visual or a geometric organization, doesn't work. So for me, the, the way that the ADC manifested most with me is I couldn't read. I couldn't read. Not, I could read. I'm not illiterate. But I... I had no stamina for reading. I would go on vacation, take a book with me, and one page could take me 40 minutes because I would start to read. I would drift off. I would lose my concentration. I start the paragraph over again. Then maybe about 20 minutes in, I get to the page and then I go, I have to go reread this page. Just, I, I didn't get any of it. I didn't absorb any of it. So the ADC medication has really helped with that. The other weird thing, it's, I think I might've mentioned this to one of you. I did, I, I did say it at work. I used to be able to, and it's almost like a, a blessing and a curse, but I could sit in a room with a bunch of conversations and just kind of listen to several conversations as they're going on. Those conversations, I didn't have to focus on them or, or really absorb them, but I can hear what's going on. The curse part of that is I can't focus. I'm living at my desk and trying to work on something, trying to read a document, can't focus. Now that I'm on the medication, I have trouble multitasking, mm-hmm. which I guess that's the purpose of the medication, right? Trying to get you to sleep. I'm wondering if that's probably what would happen to me if I was taking the medication, because I'm pretty good at multitasking. Well, uh, I think I'm pretty good at multitasking. I think you are, but I, to, to expand on your idea, that's just like you put me in an office setting. I can't do focus work. Right. You see me. You, I often will groundhog up and be like, I need to go talk to you. I heard you talking about X, Y, Z, yeah. and I overheard it. And then it will be, but that could be conversation six rows away. Yep. Um, 
I can't not listen to everything going on around me. And noise canceling headphones don't aren't the same. I, I if I want to focus, I need to have freedom of movement, be able to focus and, and have a truly quiet space. That's why I do the best work at home. But I know exactly what you're talking about. And I can keep track of in an office space five, six, seven conversations and be able to good enough to pull in like, hey, I should jump in there. Right. I will get nothing accomplished in front of me in that screen. Yeah. It was, it's literally a dead space of things I'm trying to do yeah. and it will turn into, you know, directory traversals. Right. You know? Basically just moving the mouse. Well, but it's only like, it's only key keyboards for me is how I do. And I'll start moving through directories and it's just my intuition habit to do is like, okay, well, I'll go move into this gear. I'm going to start on that, but then, Ooh, but, but I got to stand up. And that's how it comes out about with me. You made me just think of, you ever see uh, Sherlock? Yep. Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, oh it's the best one. His mind palace. Yeah, the mind palace where he was like, you know, zipping through. I, I thought of that when you were just explaining that. The other thing that and, uh, people at work, the people on my team, they, I had to explain this to them and they got used to this, but don't ever give me a document to read like live. Like in front of people? Like, we, like no, like you pull something up and you're like, hey, listen, I, this new standard policy procedure, whatever. Let's review it. And they pull it up in a meeting. I'm like, nope, nope. Send it to me. I'll read Listen, it on my own time. I'll read it on my own time and I'll give you thorough insight, feedback. I'll go through like a, with a fine tooth comb. I'm also very, very anal when it comes to formatting and presentation. Like if you have double space, I can look at a page filled with text. And if there's two spaces in there, I'm like, third paragraph, fourth sentence. There's two spaces. In there. <laughs> the and people on my team are like, how the fuck how did you that? see that? When the more important question is, why did you see that? Right. Because that's not the, that's, I, I, oh no, I get it. You, know, you, you know, and that's an interesting point because the reason I probably saw that is because I'm not focusing, because I can't focus on, on the other side. the document, right? So, plus I've also prioritized like having good formatting and documents. So something that I look for, but in the more formal understanding of ADHD that you've gone through, you found it helpful. I'm going to ask the question. So it seems yeah. like it's helped you. Yeah. The, so I went in and got tested. I've always suspected that I had ADHD. I went and got tested. Came back, neuropsychologist. You're absolutely okay. So I had to make the decision, do I want to get treated for it? The thing that I was prioritizing, focused on the most is the reading. Because for my job, I had to. It's a differentiator. People that can read, people can't. Not saying that you're illiterate or not, but the amount of time you read is a fundamental differentiator yeah. for career growth. And I, like I said, like I obviously can read. It's just consuming how fast and how what fast. you need to do. Yeah, yeah. Comprehension. I, yes, and yeah, speed and comprehension. Or I know people that can read very quickly, and they have a skill where they don't have to absorb every of the, and that's, that's me, that's a skill, that's right? And I know I've seen you do it. And there's another close friend of ours that we have that does the same speed thing. Speed reading. Yeah. Speed reading and just pulling out the relevant bits of information. So that was my, there were two things. It was reading. And also I've noticed that pre and post ADHD medicine, my speaking has changed. I used to trip over my words a lot before I was on a medication and now 
it's almost as if my brain has slowed down a little bit. And now I'm able to process formulate thoughts and get it out without sort of tripping. So there's a, a little bit of effectiveness, right? Productivity, increase in reading, but there's also the speaking part is a little bit of confidence, right? Like Not being yet. able to like go in meetings, presentations, in front of a board, whatever it is, and have that sort of confidence that the medicine, I, I, I didn't know the medicine was going to do that for me, but after I noticed it, I was like, well, was it, but was it the medicine or was it the fact that you were now realizing more about yourself or you, the comprehension from reading and all the other things that you were also there allowed you to have the confidence in the other domains. Mm -hmm. So the comp, the confidence, put the confidence aside, because I think that's different from mm -hmm. the noticeable. As I started taking the medicine, I was not tripping on my words as much mm -hmm. as I used to. Mm -hmm. That was like the immediate thing that then I was like. Oh, wow. That's a side effect of the, I guess, a benefit right. of the medication also. Then the confidence started to grow because I was able to sort of articulate my words and communicate a little bit clearer. And then there's been times where I didn't have the medicine and I had to go to work and I'm like, oh boy. So if you miss a dose, do you, I mean, I knew that I knew, sorry, when I had the dose or missed a dose, I knew that I uh, missed it because I could feel it. But does it affect, does it affect you immediately or is it more like gradual? It's, it depends. It depends on which symptom we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Sure. The speaking and tripping over my words, that's gradual. Yeah. The focusing and being able to read almost like the next day. There was actually just recently the medication I'm on, it's become really popular. It's hard to get now where. The doctor puts in the prescription and in January, I have to wait two weeks. Wow. Two weeks without it. So that was a tough period because I was at work and I'm trying to read something or at home. Like I am like, this is like, I can't. I have a couple of questions. Because I'm really interested in the time in between, not because it, it, like when it went away, like do you think that's because you got used to having being able to do it and you noticed the dip or was it and you had a different expectation versus the change in how your body responded because those are two things at the same time yeah. and i'm interested in knowing where those are just I, I i would say honestly i don't think it's it was me noticing it i think it's a chemical change where I just lose the ability to focus when I'm reading. Like I, that is, I don't know how to explain it. It's almost like I feel disabled. Like it, from when I was on a medicine, it was good. Right now I lived my whole life without, I just started taking medication for years because I lived my whole life without it. So I got really used to just functioning without any medication. Then once I started taking the medication, I saw the differences. In that two-week period, it was, bam, I could not focus. And it was days where I couldn't focus. And well, it's every frustration, like I'm sure yeah. everything comes out. So I think it's, could some of it be sort of psychological? Maybe, yeah. I'm yeah. Sure, some percentage yeah. is guaranteed yeah. to me. Yeah. It's just like how much of it. The reason I why I know. ask. I because, wish I could tell you. Because that's the interesting part about that natural test that comes out of that is like, 
you get a lot of feedback about how effective it is and how much you've changed. Because yeah. by definition, these things change you and how you behave. And what's the difference of afterwards? How does it change over a long period of time? Including rewriting how you think about yourself and how you behave. Right. I, I, I wish I can tell you how much of the percentage was like actual sort of physiological versus psychological. And to your point that you made before, or the question you asked before, that two-week period when I wasn't with the medication, that ability to focus in reading was probably day two or three. Right, in. yeah. It so was, there's a yeah. ramp-off period. He's like, very clear. This is one of those. It does. So I thought I had an understanding I could be wrong. It's making up for deficiencies in chemicals that exchange across boundaries. Mm -hmm. And it's that you have either too little or too much, and I don't remember which ones, and it just runs out. Think of it like a like your body has perpetually a low level of gas right. in this particular type of fluids and it tops it up. It's not as, that's not an accurate, yeah. but it's yeah. the kind I get it. Well, with, you're talking about Jones, some of those medications, they are active in the participation of the exchange of information across those boundaries. Right. And removals means that thing doesn't function anymore. Yeah. And so if I remember the difference, from my reading, because some other situations is that's for how like the Ritalin, a lot of the ADHD and all those different ones work is they provide more base. So you tank a little bit. Yeah. Right. Doesn't overfill it, doesn't underfill, but it just makes sure there's enough to, hey, let's make sure you can do more than three minutes. That's a, yeah. that's a good way to explain it. It's been the reason why I ask, and this is going to divert for a brief second, is take notes. And I mean this truly for anybody that takes any kind of medication. The most important thing you can do is take notes shortly and consistently over time. It allows you to go to your doctor without having to use memory. It allows you to go into your doctor mm -hmm. with a change over time. And humans are extremely bad at small incremental changes. And so if you were taking notes, they're like, hey, every Friday I wrote down how everything was going, feels normal, blah, blah, blah. Had a bad day with X, Y, Z, but you can start accounting for the personal loss. But when you had the loss, those questions I asked would be something you could hand to your doctor. Oh, so you're talking about just not just when I'm not on the medicine, just all the time, every day. Right? And then what that or allows on you on a regular period, on a regular period, whatever the period is. But the whole point is we just, I just explained to you just on a plane ride here, how I don't have the time to do a lot of He's like, how's the reading going? I was like, oh man, listen. <laughs> You could got, do voice memos. I got, memos podcasts, on I got this, and then, right? You're adding something else often like that. How many times am I going to do this? Am I, that's all I do. It's like, say, digression, just as an interesting question. I like that idea, though, but sorry, John. Yeah, no, that's sorry. Well, it, I mean, I keep pulling from history. At all the great psychological changes I, I in history. I was going to say, most people tell you to, psych, psychologists, yes. right? They tell you to do this. Right. Well, in, in it's a loss. And so, like, if you go look at the history of Adlerian psychology, the Freud, a lot of the most interesting stuff is they wrote things down every day. And then they would go back and look at what they wrote down and they made decisions. I'm not saying they made the right ones. Yeah. We know Freud was pretty crazy. Yep. But by writing down, you can go and analyze what you wrote in your opinions. And it's not memory. It's based on something written down. And then you can take that to your doctor and be like, hey, doc, I've been writing this down for a year and I've been noticing this change. This change is, I don't think this is as effective or I think it's too effective. I'm having trouble realizing. Whatever it is, you have that history and the docs will go like, oh my God, you actually have this? And it'll take a couple samples of it and talk to you about it. And it's something fundamentally different than, hey doc, I think things are changing. 
and I don't know if you, if you, if you mean doing it to this level, but I would even say in addition to writing down sort of how, like I'm feeling how my body is reacting and those things should write down, I think any circumstances yes. that are, that are going on around you yeah. really yeah. crappy day at work today, yeah. really stressed out about work because over time you can find those patterns and say, yeah, maybe it wasn't the medicine a trigger. that was causing me to not be able to focus. It was all the other crap that I had going on. It was a really stressful day at work. Like maybe, yeah. They do but, that actually, uh, sorry, a lot with what is it? Anxiety, ulcers, like all these things. They usually tell you, hey, you know, write it because sometimes you're, and I mean, you know this, we were yeah. just talking about, but sometimes people with any of those kind of uh, disorders, there's a trigger. It was something that, you know, it might be uh, food. It might be an allergy word. Very well could be stress. Yeah. And, and I agree. That it, it works for everything. I need to journal more. And I use the term journal because, but it's, it is it's four, it's four yep. paragraphs, but it's factual, it's time and it's appropriate. And then I can go back to it. I wish I did it more, but when I, when I was some situation with my family, journals were unbelievably valuable when dealing with emotional issues of kids and children. I can sit there and watch and do a, a literally a look back. And it wasn't based on how I was feeling. It was how I was feeling at that time and what I wrote down and what facts I put in there. And it was ungodly clarifying. Not at the time because I didn't, but when I went back, I'm like, okay, this is ding, ding, ding. Here's some points. Here's some, yep. and, and I recommend it for more. Yeah. Not, and I'm, I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I just need to find a, maybe a good app or something. And the, the and voice recorder actually is pretty good. Just and, a, to, and the structure. So is the new journal app that's built in iOS because yeah. it will remind you, but it also puts it in your health data and you can share it with your doctor. That's so brilliant. Damn but, it, Apple. But the, the, I think the important part, and I think we touched this already, but not just how I'm feeling, but what's going on. Oh, it's vital. Around, right? Right. And I, like, I think it, like, I'm talking in the moment here because it's something that sounds like you guys are resonating back to me. I've mm -hmm. never thought. This is what they used to do at the turn of the century. Everybody wrote, because that's what you did at night. Yeah. You didn't have a Wait, lot the of the previous it. century. No, yeah, the, the previous century. The 18 to 1900s yeah. and all that. When I was going to ask guys. Yeah. Wait, back to 1800s? I don't, I don't remember back then. But they had a lot of time and they wrote journals. They wrote diaries. But they were extremely valuable and they allowed you to pull back. Yeah. I think we, we lost a little bit of that. And then and this will talk to another topic I eventually want to talk about, which is the now, the the hypothesis now that is all that matters, but yeah, I think it's important. Yeah. And, and I know we're staring away from the topic, but I think it's interesting. Oh no, I think this is all related. Yeah, I, this I do is too. absolutely all related to ADC and like, you know, we can expand. I mean, this conversation could be ADC could be the list of things that we covered on the, the hoarding disorders, which is anxiety, ADC, depression, dementia, dementia. Although I still feel like I got in looking at it a little bit, I feel like Dementia and what was the other one? Uh, right. This is when I was listening to the podcast you guys did, and I wanted to argue with you guys. Yeah. But you had to agree. <laughs> no, I didn't. Dement you guys have dementia wrong. You had it wrong. But that's a different time. There's going to be a day when, John, you and I do the podcast, and all of a sudden our phone's going to go off, and it's Jeremy calling you. <laughs> I can't handle it. It's too Put me in. Put me in. Connect me in. I'm going to ask John a question about ADHD in my experience, has helped people be more successful as executives than probably most people I've met. Not all of them, 
but I, the amount of executives I've met that has show signs of ADHD is ins- very high. What is your experience in that space? The same, I would say. Yeah, I think the interesting thing about executives and, you know, yeah. I, a lot of people might disagree, but uh, a core part of the executive job is honestly just to make decisions or be the arbiter of some other decision making. And often my job and each of our jobs is being part of meetings all day long, context switching all day long, very little structure throughout the day uh, that you can kind of rely on and anchor to and, and work with. So I think it's extremely, I think there's a correlation there. Most people that I'm, that I know they're extremely successful and I've seen them grow, like not just been in the presence of them. They tend to be, have that kind of quality. As far as I'm aware, the people that I know that I'm thinking of aren't medicated either. So for them, they're using, they've been able to adapt their own personal chemistry to their job effectively. Does that mean that, and I think we're saying ADHD, you know, there's There's many, this this is a a broad spectrum of a lot of things. Right. So, so that could, I think that might be a big part of it too, because I think people with the hyperactivity component or the component where they, they're restless, hyper-focus, completely different, but then you have people who are able to multitask like myself that I'm able to actually do a lot of, and I, and I'm good at that, but we talked to you and I talked about, uh, a few weeks ago about the energy of being, of doing that by the end of the day, I'm burnt. Yeah. It's very difficult again with family members, kids, young kids having to, it's hard, you know, it's definitely harder. You hit what I wanted to do is that there's advantages in top of this. So it's really Mm -hmm. easy to talk about some of the disadvantages, but these aspects, hyper-focus, when channeled correctly, turn people into awesome aspects, sometimes to their own detriment at the other times. Yeah. They're going to hyper-focus on work for 12 hours a day and arrive at amazing outcomes and burn themselves out very quickly. But if they can manage some of those worst outcomes, they can be used very productively and it makes them very successful. And that's the part I wanted to kind of highlight is I think that's really important to recognize. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, so, so, so part of me, I would say throughout my, let's call it, I don't know, adult life, I've recognized that a lot of my ten, own tendencies might fit into this category. And I've purposely not gone and got tested, taken medication, et cetera, because of the worry that like, it might change me in a way that I'm no longer going to be yep, as successful or as productive or whatever at my job. I don't know if that's necessarily the case because all of the results that I've seen from people mm-hmm. and also my own time on the medic short period of time, but my time on the medication, that was not the case, right. but I think it's important to recognize that for most people, it is un- undiagnosed when they have it and they learn to adapt. Mm-hmm. Most people learn to be successful and for higher functioning subset of those individuals, they're extremely successful because of likely parts of that. I'd love to see a study on connecting ADHD to the ability to multitask to success in professionals. And add on to that, the point we were talking about last week, I'd also like to see the connection between, if there's a connection between ADHD and the sort of introverted behavior. I mean, I know I'm introverted, you know, you're we, we all know we're introverted. I don't know that you're, I don't think you're introverted. I'm, I'm both. John and I. I'm not extrovert. Right. So that sort of, you know, we talked about on the podcast the other day where we just run out of energy mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, because of the 
all the things maybe we're processing. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't know if we lose energy necessarily because we're introverted and we just have to deal with people or we're losing energy to your point because we're multitasking and because of symptoms of ADHD. I'd love to see a, a study to tie all those things together. So there, so one of the things that's, that, that you probably know this, but when I am, when I at work or during personal life, when, when I am not as busy as I have been at certain points, I tend to write software or write code or poke around and do things just to keep my brain mm-hmm. active. And there are so many things that I'll start and stop throughout the years that just never go anywhere. And a big part of it is because of that, you know, and I think what's, what I've noticed is that the days that I need to be multitasking and there isn't enough time to do those kind of things. I am much more drained than the days if I were just basically writing software, writing code, or just poking around doing something. And then one other thing, like a meeting that I've probably very important that I should be listening to. And if anyone's listening, I was listening to that meeting, <laughs> but, but no, but like, but then at the end of the day, I'm not as, I'm not as exhausted. Now, again, I couldn't tell you, I have a sleep, I have sleep apnea, sleep disorder. That could be another component of it as well that, so, but I have noticed that about myself. On the, like, I think there's so many subcomponents of ADHD that it's kind of hard. I, I, the hyper-focus I think is positive. I think that the, uh, the, that ability to turn on to something that is interesting is extremely useful and attached to drive and, and the appropriate other functions can be really useful. It's when it's turned to things that, like for me, if I'm coding, because that's the thing I would like, much like you, I can hyper-focus on yep. code and that's escape. That usually means I'm yep. doing the wrong work. Yes, correct. And when I'm doing that, well, how do I put myself out is I put myself in front of people. I do the differences. I go find somebody to talk to. And that's why going to the office is useful for me. It keeps me from my natural inclinations of hyper-focusing on the wrong thing because it was easy, fun. My brain loves it. It's catnip. It's the greatest thing ever. But yeah. And for me, I've been remote now for five years, actually entirely remote for five years. And not being in an office, I don't have that. I used to do that as well. When I would be doing things when we worked together, I would get up and force myself to go get a cup of coffee because that means that you're going to have about 10 conversations between getting coffee and coming back to your desk because I needed to get myself out of whatever I was working on. I knew it wasn't productive, but I just couldn't mentally break myself of that. And it's a lot harder now at home, but usually what I do is that now we'll be like, okay, well, I'm just going to go call this person on Zoom. Yep. Zoom bomb them and be like, okay, let's talk about this and just like start unloading like everything that's in my mind that I've been thinking about that I haven't actually talked to this person about. And it breaks me from that spiral of, of just not doing what I should be doing. But then on the flip side of that, often some of the things that I'm able to carve some of the things that I'm doing and focus on it to be something useful to then use to present like a new idea or something right. to the team. So, uh, it, it, it definitely depends on what I'm working on and what my brain gets to, but it's not only software for me, it could be reading news, hacker news, going on YouTube, YouTube's like crack for me. I need to just shut it off at my house, but I can't because my kids, which is probably another thing I should just do it. So the kids can't, but it's an interesting thing. I found sometimes there are these Pomodoro timers, things like that do help, especially, or, or shutting entirely off your social media and things work very well, but it, it's hard when you know this about yourself, you know, you're doing it, but it's catnip. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny when you said. You were talking about being able to hyper-focus and that can be an advantage for a lot of people. It took me back to the conversation we had 
at lunch about the Tiger Woods documentary. Yeah. Right. That dude was the greatest at what he was doing, but obvious that he had other problems and other demons. And uh -huh. they talked about this in a documentary. One of the sort of experts or whoever they had on, they said he was addicted to sex and that sex was covering pain and an outlet for everything else. To your point, like when you get caught in that moment where you're just like in the catnip and you're like, no, I got to go talk to people. That sort of defense mechanism kicking in where you, but the beauty of it is that you realize it and you pull but yourself the, out the, of it, right? It's true. So like the, the harder part I have for that is, is no, it's not easy to do. I have tools and systems and ways of focusing it. Um, I track my time to five minute increments at home. I have to, because I have no structure. I have no responsibility. I have no boss and I have no reason to do anything besides my own mm -hmm. choices and drive. So if I don't have it, so I have a program, it monitors me, it sits there and classifies my time, productive, non-productive. I have to do it all. But it's so... Can you can, send that to me? Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, what's the program? Timing. Isn't that what I'm using now? Okay. It logs in. It also does screen time for iOS too, so it can That's correlate awesome. all of it. So do you schedule out what you're going to do? Like no, on it's all... It's, it's, no, it's passive. It's passive. So it just, it just says, okay, so you're on Readwise, like three hours. So hey, kudos. You can check that. Yes. Like, okay, no, well. it's far more granular than that. So I'm using a new one, so I'm still getting used to the new one. I used to use Rescue Time. Rescue Time was great. It monitors your computers, tell you how much you use, but it looks at every single program every 30 seconds. It sees what's in the foreground window and what's actively being interacted with. I'm using timing now, which is far more integrated in the Mac OS world, where it knows file paths are assigned to projects, to subsets. It, oh, you wow. Can, you can reclassify things. So I'm doing a project for a customer. That customer names in the, like in, in the open document, mm -hmm. it classifies that time. That's awesome. And it does this all automatically. But more importantly is it tells me phone calls, Zoom calls, all communication, all email, all remote access. And it puts these in front of me. And then I go through them twice a day. You launch it at the end of the day. And anything that doesn't, I haven't set up rules to auto-classify this. And then I go look at a report. I was going to say, I was going to ask you, do you have to classify? Because you can be on an application and you could be like, you could be on a Zoom. It could be a productive Zoom call because it's business related. Right. Or it could be none. Right. Correct. So you can add those notes as you so choose as in the time it can prompt you for it or not. It can do whatever you so choose to do. I'm not at that level. A Zoom meeting, if I committed to a Zoom meeting, it's usually going to be considered productive time. Right, right. It's not outcome-based. It doesn't make me money usually, but it does produce out output or something. It's necessary. Yeah. So I put that on the scale of productive, right. not very productive. Right. And then I do cross that all of that. But the more the more interesting thing is when it's focus time in non-focused time. So I have communication. So it shows me every YouTube video I watch, if I watch them. It shows me every time I'm editing, because I do a lot of document editing. It's part of what my company produces. Browser activity. It tells me every single web page and every sub page. But then you have to go in and classify no as you can productive, non-productive? If you want to, you, yeah, it does for major sites and mm -hmm. does sort of different ways. So like I have my company's Gmail and I have my, my personal Gmail. It knows the difference because it knows the name. So I auto-classified one as productive mm -hmm. and one is not productive. Right. And same thing with paths. So it also understands file path. So it knows everything underneath the directory slash source slash client name right. dash zero zero one slash is assigned to project XY and very productive. Right. And this one is a project that I'm not getting paid for. It's mildly productive. But more importantly is the inverse is it allows me to see when I'm, when catnip is happening. Right. 
And so when I do that little review, which is to make sure that all my auto classifications were either right or wrong, I get to the point where I sit there and go like, oh, I spent uh, that re my research time of researching some tool I wanted to use in the future, which is useful time, devolved into Hacker News and, and Go, yeah. Golang modules. And that wasn't productive. How did that happen? I, I did that without a goal. I did that and I think about that and I sit there and go like, okay, I need to do research in a different way. My problem, so that happens to me and usually that happens because I'm in a meeting and I probably don't need to be there or, oh God. This don't get, start, don't get me started. I'm not going to go on that. The, but I get down the, the other but I get down the uh, the rabbit hole of, of quote research and go modules news blah 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 and yeah it, it, that would be extremely useful for me. How does it handle when you're not? I'm sure if it's an iOS integrated app, I'm sure it's able to go across like your iPad, your phone, your all of those. Computer. If you're not on any of those, can't do anything about it. Right. Yeah, I can't. I don't know. It's just but you, say can, you can do. You can so it like. I have it set up so that I, I'm sorry. I know it can't do anything about it, but like, what does how, it do? how do you manage that? Right. That's what I'm, it prompts. Question. So like when I don't log any time for now and I come back and it's during work hours, it prompts me. It says, what have you been doing? Right. And yeah, you're not I working. can ignore it. Yeah, you're not working. You bum. What are you so, doing? So you're going, not, to, you're going to say, I'm not trying to get to hundred percent. Yeah, no, I, I get it. But I think there's, I think there's, uh, you know, there's valuable productive things you could be doing outside of like electronics. Like, you can have a magazine, mm -hmm. you know, an industry magazine, or you could, the newspaper or, you know. Yep. And there's plenty of that. I know and, that. I'm sure some people, newspaper. some people sell newspapers someplace but, still. But the, but that's not where my catnip is. That's not where I'm going to be wasting time mm -hmm. in, in those worlds. Generally, if I'm wasting time in those worlds, my family, my kids, or with people I want to be around. Wasted time for me is almost invariably going to be on the computer. Me too. Right. Or the or so playing video I'm, games. I'm, while I'm classifying things I want to be productive in, what I'm actually doing is highlighting by 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 juxtaposition. You're bringing it in front of you. I, I'm so highlighting sad. the things I don't want to be. So right. I used to use screen time aggressively to say no YouTube. Now I actually get to see what I'm doing in YouTube, what I'm doing in Reddit. So I don't block those anymore. I just make it put them in front of myself and say like, do you really want to do that uh, for 45 minutes from two to three? Mm -hmm. Well, it. Will timerly alert you if can you set up timers to say no. I've been on YouTube for forty I'm going to use it for forty five minutes. That's it. You can. I haven't I, I I used to that's how I used to use rescue time where we'd sit there and say, like, hey, you've just too much YouTube time you want to put into block mode, prompt you, and then blah blah, blah whatnot. Right. I used to use that. I don't use that anymore. I found it was I went around, I knew how to get around control on a computer. So I just went around it when I wanted to. It didn't help me. The part that was helpful was Focus time in iOS, which is a different feature came from Apple, which I can trigger where I sit there and say no notifications. And I've spent, I've been relentless at removing notifications from my life. And it works. Uh, yeah. Focus time's great. Uh, yeah. I didn't set it up today. You keep seeing me, we're both looking at our phones and launches, but setting it up for me during family time, during the evenings, it's great. Even if it's only for a few hours before the kids go down or something. Yeah. I, I, that's a great feature. I need to set mine up. I have not set it up. I, I, I have to break through your, in order to get your attention after hours. I'm you like, do. I, I sit there and go, okay, I'm, I talk into Ozzy. I'm like, I'm going to break through to see if I can get a hold of him on his flight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you did that. And then I'm like, oh yeah, here I am. So I have another, you, you brought up Tiger Woods. Oh boy. No, it's, we're going to go into Charlie Sheen. We're not actually, <laughs> but I could probably figure out a way to get him in. <laughs> 
So do you think there's a pattern with people that are extremely great at what they do and then having like, yes. So I'll, I'll immediately you, you talked about the answer is yes, but you talked about Tiger Woods. I thought about Michael Jordan. I thought about Tom Brady. I thought about who's the Kobe had yeah. problems, yeah. neural problems. Is it because they're just insanely focused on one thing and they, what do you, maybe there's not one thing, but there's definitely a correlation there. I think the, the tie in, and we were talking a little bit about this at lunch, right? With Tiger Woods, dad, Tiger Woods, his dad had a mission for him from when he was very young. He said, he's going to be the greatest golfer on the planet. He's going to change humanity. He's going to do a lot of things. First of all, I put a lot on a kid's shoulders yeah. from a very young age. But he was so intent and he didn't, I, be, from the documentary, it didn't strike me as the type of dad that was constantly pushing Tiger to do something that Tiger didn't want to do. Now, Tiger may not have wanted to spend all the time that he did focusing on one thing, but he did and he got really good at it. I think the detriment is there are other things there that that great thing will mask all the other things. And it's the point. Jeremy was talking about like the catnip, right? And the catnip is different, but I think it's very related. It's sort of related. There's the, the comfort space and that comfort space for Tiger was playing golf and sex because he was addicted to sex. And that took away, those two things took away a lot of the pains that he had. And I think that probably goes for the other greats that have had like issues, right? Charlie, she was addicted to sex. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't see that as I'm going to, I think oh, that's too, I think what? it's, oh, it's got me. It's, it's got me. I knew it. I knew it. I'm going to mildly disagree. <laughs> How far did we get it? 59 minutes. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's possible to make that kind of one to like comparison in the, at this level. I think that you're using examples of people that are live very complicated lives. They're and humans. They're, and they're, they're extrapolating. I think the bigger factor for them is their start, not their focus. If I would ask me the most dominant factor of those group of people you list it off is they have, wasn't their focus and their ability to get there. It's once they're there, they're in a different population group and how much that would change people. And I don't even think that I'm like on a scale of things, I think I'm thinking that's 10% focus is 5% and there's some said not 85% of other things that led up to that. I think it's, so, people are so complicated. There's so much going on in them that it breaking it down to causal, like this is really tough. But I think the part that's really interesting about the Tiger Woods story is the lack of focus or the lack of understanding what you don't get when you only do one thing growing up. And that's the part that I find interesting about the Tiger Woods story. It wasn't what it led to. It's what that it created a gap because of all the things they chose not to do in raising a kid, how to have friends in the normal world, how to fill holes and deal with emotional, all those billions of little things that a kid's supposed to learn. He probably didn't learn in the same way. He learned in a very focused way. And that was all the things that were missed. And that's the part that I think people got to recognize. That was my point. Good. <laughs> that was my point. Like then we came around. It is. It is. So wait, he, is. he wanted to disagree with you, but he couldn't. But he ended up agreeing with me. <laughs> no, but that's that. That's it. It's and listen. 
this is just a theory, right? Of course. I'm not, I'm no expert, right? But, and I, I am, God damn it, in everything I talk about. Right. And we can't say, without having that expertise, you can't say how much of it is stardom, how much of it is that right. aspect. But there is that aspect where I think being so focused on being so great at the one thing, you're going to have to sacrifice something else. Yes. And those things that are sacrificed probably end up, and, and when I say sacrifice, I'm not just talking no, about no. sacrificing people, sacrificing, you're sacrificing a lot. And by sacrifice, you're also sacrificing dealing with maybe some demons that you have. Well, right? development, capabilities. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're hyper-focused on success or whatever it is that you're, mm -hmm. you're the, the greatest at. And I think the combination with what you just said and the fact that they're a star or they're, everyone's watching them, all that just becomes, we're all looking at it and seeing things unravel when normally it would happen and in private. I would say the stardom, this is just my theory. That's fine. I'm going to give you, after I get done, I'll give you 10 seconds to violently disagree. <laughs> I would argue that the stardom is less of a cause and exacerbates the problem more than anything else. Five, I, 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 four, I two, disagree. Two of I think that none of us have any experience in what that world is like. I'm guessing. I just have a feeling that it's way more isolating than anybody of us knows. And I believe that. Yeah. And, and isolation Absolutely. is the single most dangerous thing for humans. Yeah. I don't listen. There's no. There's no argument there. Right. Violently, passively, it doesn't matter. So there's a good book. Jeremy's going to bring up a book. It's called Ranged. Range. 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 Oh, and it deals a lot about the idea of Tiger Woods, the hyper-focus. And he makes the premise is that the great people in life aren't the hyper-focused. They aren't the Tiger Woods. They are the people that come late in the game over range in lots of experimentation until they find something that clicks for them. Mm -hmm. And that I don't remember which tennis player it was he was talking about. He's like, he became one of the best in the world and just suddenly stopped. Andre Agassi? It was somebody else. But he's like, he didn't find tennis until he was 17. And oh, became, you're probably talking about it. And became one of the, didn't find the 17, was, no, had no focus. Yeah. He didn't do this and left it just and it was amazing and he's like the premise is that there is far more people that are successful with finding trying many things and failing many times and then finally finding that one rather than that hyper focus from a very early age like the tiger woods the michael jordan and right. those kind of things and it's far more common and they're more impactful on society it was a really good book because it it said it was more about the american it was like hey you got to pay attention to this too but it's the obsession with the Tiger Woods story when we should be obsessing with how do we get people as much experience trying things. So many things in front of them and get them and to then understand. Like, and yeah. to say no to things. Like, hey, I tried crew and I hated it. I tried blah and I hated it. I tried blah and I hated it. Real put effort into it. And then eventually when they find the one that clicks, then they put in the hour. Mm -hmm. And his point was that the 10,000 hours BS. It was another point of his points. He's like, 10,000 hours is not necessary to figure out if you're going to be the best. You got to care and have passion and try out enough things to determine whether you should put 10,000 hours in. I don't think 10,000 hours is, I don't think it's that it determines if you're going to be the best. It is to get to a certain level. Mastery. Right. There's a certain, right. yeah. 
Yeah. You, you, you need to get to there to figure out if it is possible for you. It uh, takes time. Poss if what's possible, like excelling, like, yeah. like become, becoming like professional golfer yeah. or something like that. Yeah. 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 Well, I think it varies people. I think some people, no, of course it always varies. All right. Some people would just pick up a golf club at a young age, like a Tiger Woods and, and show a lot of promise and Tiger Woods put way more than 10,000 hours, oh, yeah. but I suspect that maybe Tiger Woods didn't have to put in as much as no. he did and probably still would have been great. But would he have been better off as a person, happier? Did, if yeah. he went for a more ranged approach, find out that, hey, until he was 16, he didn't find golf and then found out he had natural talent and he was a little more developed as an individual mm -hmm. because he didn't have the focus and then suddenly became, I think that would be a viable possibility. I think that wraps it up for this episode of the Bites of Wisdom podcast. As always, we thank you for listening and hope you will join us again soon. Until next time, keep exploring and stay curious. Thank you.